Mutation. It is the key to our evolution. It has enabled us to evolve from a single-celled organism into the dominant species on the planet. This process is slow, normally taking thousands and thousands of years. But every few hundred millennia, evolution leaps forward. Mutants. Since the discovery of their existence, they have been regarded with fear, suspicion, often hatred. Across the planet, debate rages. Are mutants the next link in the evolutionary chain? Or simply a new species of humanity fighting for their share of the world? Either way, it is an historical fact. Sharing the world has never been humanity's defining attribute. Hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. I am joined by my friend, uh, my son, Hunter, over here, and uh, Alicia, his girlfriend. And well, and let's go through everybody's ages. So Hunter is 21, Alicia is 20. Then we have uh, Matt and Maddie. Maddie, how old are you now? 14. 14. And Matt, how old are you now? 50? 49. 49? 49. Not 50 yet. <laughs> all, right, all right. So we have a lot of different age groups represented. Uh, we don't know if we're all going to be with you every time, but we'd, we at least are here for the first time, and that'll be good. We are covering the X-Men, and we thought we'd start with the, I think it's called the second Genesis, and this is with when Wolverine joins the team and it becomes the team that most of us know as the X-Men. Uh, it had existed a long time before this, but we'll be covering that in a different podcast. So let me, I'm going to share my screen so we can see the cover of the first giant size X-Men that came out uh, in 1974, I think, 74, 75. Anyway, and it says it's from May. Um, this was, uh, the cover was drawn by Gil Kane, I believe, and somebody else. I don't know who was DEC. Anyway, if anybody knows, tell us. Um, anyway, it's a, it's a great cover. It shows the new X-Men kind of popping out and the old X-Men in the background. And so you get an idea that they're introducing some new characters. Uh, the art inside the book and the design of the characters and co-creator is Dave Cockrum who I really enjoyed Dave Cockrum's art. Uh, he was fairly new to comics at this time. Uh, for a few years, he had drawn black and whites, um, the magazine uh, style comics that were on newsstands, the Dracula sort of things and Barbarella and all that kind of stuff. And uh, he'd always wanted to draw color. And so he went over to DC and tried to get them to hire him. Um, and because he did that work, then they went ahead and hired him. At first, 
he'd uh, submitted his work and they said it was really, really, really good for fan art, but it wasn't quite professional yet. And so I wouldn't even get that compliment. Yeah, exactly. Um, and he talks all about this in uh, the uh, Marvel Masterworks that uh, is about the Giants, is about the X-Men and, and has the X-Men here. So that's a great piece to read. And it's fun to read his interview. It's very um, intimate and open and all of that, which is really nice. Uh, anyway, so um, the X-Men, he designed... As we can see breaking through here on the cover, we can see there's uh, Cyclops, who was with the original team. You can see him down below in the cover, plus also up above as part of the old team. So he's going to be a member of both teams. And then we have um, Wolverine, who was an established character uh, already. From here to comic. In, in just a couple of uh, things, Two. just in the Hulk, basically and uh, grabbed onto him and decided to use uh, Wolverine the, and keep him in the same outfit, basically. They um, gave him longer, I don't know what they call those ears, mask things, whatever those are that stick up, the pointy parts. <laughs> and uh, he also, um, but then he came up with Storm, who's flying up above, and you can see her coming in the picture. Um, and he designed Storm, he designed Colossus over here, Nightcrawler, he actually brought in from, he designed it for DC and submitted it to DC that he wanted to create a group called the Outsiders. And we'll show that in just a second. And then in the background, we have Warpath. And so he designed all of their costumes. He was just a, a fantastic costume designer. And uh, we lost him here a few years ago, but um, just a wonderful presence to have on, on the comic book scene. I'm gonna change this out here so that I can show you um, a little bit of Cockham's history. So, there. So now, uh, the first thing he did after he started working on the um, black and whites is he started to work with Murphy Anderson, who was a fabulous artist. And uh, he did a few things with Murphy Anderson, and then Murphy told him that they were looking for an artist for the Legion of Superheroes and nobody wanted to do it because the Legion has about 20 some members and people go crazy trying to do the art for all of them. And, but he was dying to do it and he loved to do as many characters in one picture as he possibly could. In this case, you can see that um, uh, he's using multiple characters on this picture that he did for the Legion Outpost I remember when I was, I don't know, probably uh, Maddie's age, maybe a little younger than Maddie. I had this, uh, it was done in black and white. It was never, I don't think it was ever in color. I think this is, it says colors by Dean 2002. So I think good old Dean here colored this up. But I had, I went to my local library and I photocopied about 20 different copies of the of this cover and then I went and I colored it myself um, and then I play with the character's costume colors because Cockrum did that he would play with the character's costume colors and things himself so I thought they gave me free reign to do it so I would do this I have this cover in all different variations and uh, it was a fun fun thing to do 
anyway, this this shows off some of Cochran's um, wonderful work that he can do. And this is a famous motif. I, I enjoy the, likes to have a big character. I enjoy the fact that if you and little characters around the edges, um, and that, and that's just what he does. Did someone have a question about any of this? I thought someone was saying something. Oh, I, I just enjoy the fact that if you take Timberwolf's costume and add some claws to it, it's basically Wolverine's later costumes. Correct. Correct. And he didn't have anything to do with the later Wolverine costume. That was after he'd left the, the series. But he did have to do with, uh, you can see that's where Wolverine got his hair, was from basically Timberwolf. Um, Timberwolf never had hair like that until Cockrum started working on him. Um, also, this is a new costume that he designed for um, uh, for him as well, which is great for, for Timberwolf. Um, just to point out the new costumes he did here, he did Wolf, uh, Timberwolf's costume. Um, can you see my pointer? Does it is it showing that? Okay. Yes. So here we have, um, this is a person that can grow really big. It's Colossal Boy, and that's his powers to grow huge or whatever. He redid that costume. Mm -hmm. Um, he did both of uh, a new costume for Lightning Lad and for Saturn Girl here. He did the costume for um, Shadow Lass. You can see that for his women costume, he loves the bikini sort of a look. Um, this is not um, Phantom Girl's costume, but I don't know why he just drew her in a bikini, but apparently he wanted to do that. Now he comes over and he starts working on the, on the X-Men. They gave him the X-Men and because they, they, the Legion had caught on so much since he took it over that now he was a name in the industry. And so now when they're creating the X-Men, they're like, oh, we can use the guy that created, that did all these costumes and things for the Legion and he can design our team of young people. And so I think that's why they used him. And let's go into first page of the comic and you can see more about it. Um, the two characters that aren't on the cover are uh, Banshee, who is a previous character that's been around Marvel for a long time, and Sunfire that was in some of the X-Men comics from a decade before. Um, but anyway, X-Men had just been doing reruns, reprints, since 1973. So for about two years, they just did reprints and then they decided to reboot the series. And so they rebooted it with this giant size. Um, we can see Wolverine here is on the first page. We're not gonna go through page by page, but we'll talk about it. Um, but let me just go to you guys since I've been talking a lot and see, um, let's go to Maddie first. Maddie, of the characters, whether they're from this comic or from the future, you know, um, what characters in this and that are kind of new, these ones over here where it says Second Genesis, which ones did you kind of tune in with and which ones meant more to you? Any of them speak to you? Uh, I've always liked Nightcrawler. I mean, I watched the movies before um, reading the comics, but like even in the comics, he's been one of my favorites. Um, I also, of course, like Storm. She's great. Um, <laughs> yeah. I kind of wish that he'd had, that they decided to use more women on the team, right? I mean, there was only one, right, of the new sort of 
X-Men. Mm-hmm. Um, I would hope that maybe they'll work in Jean Grey back into the team, but we, of course, don't know that at this point on this issue. It looks like the rest of the team, we don't know if they're going to stay together or not. Um, the issue sort of ends with the whole team together, everybody, and them saying, what are we going to do with 13 X-Men? And, uh, and that's kind of where it ends. Am I correct with that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Alicia, which, which characters kind of were you impressed with at this time and were you impressed with in the future? Um, in this issue, I was mostly just taken by um, the way they did diversity. Yeah. I suppose. So there was like, you know, I like a lot of these characters and I like their personalities, but it was interesting seeing. Um... Well, but let's go before before diversity. I just liked how they did. Um, uh, what's his name? They did Logan um, Wolverine, how he's less broody than he is, you know, now, nowadays, yeah. where yeah. he's just kind of like all right, well, I'll go kick their butts. Like, let's do it. Um, we're done. Like, he's not, you know, he's not right. too depressed over the state of the world and his existence, um, which is a little bit refreshing in my mind. Um, but with everything else, uh, when he, when Professor X was going around and, like, uh, you find, what, he, he recruits, recruits um, everyone, but the ones that were the most like, ooh, to me, were uh, Storm, um, Thunderbird, I think that's what they call him. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Sunfire, who are, of course, the, well, I guess at, at this point, the, uh, what's his name? Um, the Soviet guy would have also oh, been. Colossus. Yeah, Colossus would have also been a, a diversity, part of the diversity quota. Um, <laughs> but they well, were... The, point, the whole team, essentially the new team, was probably the most diverse group of characters in comic history as far and, as all of them coming yeah. from different places. But it was clumsily done at best. And uh, even the concept of it almost takes it too far of you're going, oh, well, this just is a gimmick to have so many characters from so many places. I mean, is there anyone here that's just from like normal, just, just America, just a, and there's not. Isn't, Logan, isn't Wolverine? He, he's Canadian. Wolverine's Canadian. Oh, okay. So Wolverine is the most like generic white guy, I guess, American white guy character, but he's actually Canadian. But you do, I mean, you do have your, you do have an actual American there in uh, Thunderbird. Thunderbird, right. Yeah. <laughs> Thunderbird's a Native American. Who gets, course. like, absolutely, um, very, very much insulted by Professor X, um, which is why he joins the team for some reason. Um, but it was, it was interesting I, I seeing, being like, all right, we're going to make sure that they know that Nightcrawler is German and that Banshee is Irish, and I don't think they specifically say, they might say in, like, the little text, like, oh, somewhere in Canada about, you know, um, you know, Weapon X. I think but... they do. I think they mention he's Canadian on purpose. Okay, yeah, and they mention, like, you know, the... Irish for... I- Irish Banshee guy, Russian and... guy, like, 
you know, deep in the, the plains of Arizona and, you know, in, I can't remember which African state, but like all of these, they, they specifically mention it and you're just kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> all right. I, I see mean, I've got to give them huge kudos for a very progressive. Attempting. Cool yeah. Attempting. Yeah. They attempted something really cool. They I mean, for, pulled for it off. White guys <laughs> for old white guys in the 70s, they were trying pretty hard. Exactly. Uh, by modern standards. Where you can tell that like they wanted to execute a concept, but they didn't realize that the concept that they wanted to execute needed maybe a little bit of um, ethnic input. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because... Yeah. Yeah, by, by uh, modern standards, it's extremely cringy, but yeah, it like, was, you know, they, they were they were definitely trying. Yeah, yeah just, with Storm, they lean a little too much into tribal African tropes. Um, with Colossus, even with just Colossus, they... Every single one of them, they lean way they lean very hard into, you know, the... I, I I laughed out loud at the at the line where he's like, "A power this strong shouldn't it belong to the state?" Yeah. And then his parents are like, <laughs> "You can do whatever you want to do," and he's like, "My heart says to stay, but my conscience says to go." And it's just I'm like, "Okay, I, if that's how you feel, I guess." <laughs> it was definitely interesting. Well, and I think one thing that's really interesting with this comic, now that I think about it, if we look at up here where it says the writer, it's Len Wayne. And Len, so he, both he and Cockrum are, are co-creators of the thing. So they decided to create this team and they really created an excellent team. But then immediately they handed off to Chris Claremont to do the writing. And it would be really interesting to see what Chris Claremont would have done with this original issue if he'd been writing it i have my doubts it would have been so on the nose with all the characterizations and all the stereotypes and everything um but it might have been certainly in that time frame i think writers had a hard time kind of writing from the different perspectives of the different um ethnic groups and so forth but i think you're right alicia i think had they talked to the different ethnic groups. I think you maybe would have got a little bit of input of how to do this better. But I will say, I'm glad they tried, so. I'm glad they tried. It made it, it always makes it interesting when um, you have something superhero related and when they're getting the team together, it's not just like 12 different states within the US, right. which happens quite frequently. Like we have, you know, the best superheroes on earth and they're all in America for some reason. Right. Or they just happen to crash I mean, land in America for whatever reason. It's the same thing as like whenever people complain about like the aliens, the aliens are always attacking New York City. You know, like every big event happens in New York City. I really wouldn't want to live there because yeah. they're just having catastrophic event after catastrophic event. Yeah, for, for Marvel Comics, I think you give saying 12 states is giving them a lot of credit because typically it's New York, New York, New York, New York. <laughs> and, Pretty much. Uh, West Coast Avengers were over in. Where were West Coast Avengers placed? They were. They were actually in Buffalo. Oh, okay. Fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I assume they were in Los Angeles. But... Yeah, I think it was California. Yeah. yeah. When does Seattle get our own superhero yeah. team? 
Well, and the thing is, I, I mean, I get it too. The other side of it was they wanted them to all be in the same town, basically, so they'd run into each other. So it would make sense that you'd be having an adventure of Fantastic Four and Spider-Man might swing by for a panel or two and say something, right? So, which is difficult to do if they're all in different cities. So having them all together kind of made sense, but it made it a very small world that they lived in. You know? So I, I think yeah, this definitely expanded the world as much as it was like, you know, there were ways that you could even do the concept itself. It's not like the concept itself is in, is of issue. Like it's a little bit like, um, like Matt said, a little bit cringy where, where they try and like intentionally like, okay, here are like, you know, these people that we just fought uh, against in World War II. So we've got the Germans and the Japanese. And then um, we've had some beef with the Irish in the past. Let's make sure that they get in there and like, yeah. You know, it's just keep like, okay, who, who do we think would make the most people be like, you know, interesting, like, oh, mm-hmm. these mutants coming together, because well, they're, really, what they're trying to do is they're really just trying to push the point of like, these mutants are their own community. Uh, they don't really mm-hmm. exist, especially with Nightcrawler, his whole thing is like, he can't really exist in his own community, um, where, you know, Storm is still separate from hers, despite... Well, yeah, look at panel three, and you can see them really being heavy-handed with the X-Men as a racism metaphor when Nightcrawler just straight up says, they with their mindless prejudices. Right. By panel three, they're like, no, this this is a political comic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And... uh, I, I want to go back just for a second to the to the male female thing. Just the fact that just Storm is is the. I really wish they would have. I was thinking about the different characters. I was going, okay, well, he'd already designed Nightcrawler and really wanted to use the Nightcrawler he designed. So I get that. And that, by the way, Nightcrawler was Cockrum's favorite character to draw, and so you'll find in his issues. And Chris Claremont knew that, so in those issues, Chris really did it featured um nightcrawler a lot uh, and not so much wolverine wolverine we don't know it takes us a long time to get to know wolverine but then when um john byrne takes over byrne loved wolverine and wanted to spend more time on wolverine and that's when wolverine really got fleshed out was when john byrne took over the the art chores on the book um but I was going to say that with the female character, I really wish Colossus, actually, there's no reason why it couldn't have been, Colossus couldn't have been a female character. And there weren't many female characters that were um, the strong person in the group and that sort of thing, except for maybe like She-Hulk. But I, this is even predate She-Hulk, I think. So, because She-Hulk came around, I think in 76 or something like that. So I think it would have been really cool to have a female Colossus and yeah, but having having a uh, buff Soviet woman would awaken too many children's uh, yeah. sexualities and lesbians. They would be they would be coming out all around, and we couldn't have that. That'd be too. So much. instead, let's have this black woman in a bikini flying around. <laughs> <laughs> but she's like, yeah, no, it, it would be interesting to see because it's so many of the with especially Thunderbird and Colossus where their whole thing is that they are the 
you know, Colossus is uh, the family man. Right. Um, like he's very distinctly like the masculine figure of the family and he cares about his family. And like, they just make it a point to be like, this is, you know, a dad, <laughs> dad in the making essentially. Um, and and when, he feels like everybody's brother too. On the yeah. he's the he's the the caring brother that wants everybody to be okay, and all of that is kind of the character they established for him. And with Thunderbird, they make it such a point to be that he is the Apache man, who yeah. is you know he's the only Apache man left because everyone else you know there's a whole misogyny, misogyny, <laughs> and yeah. you know he self hate against you know your own people. But which was interesting because he blames white people and then he also blames his own people. And I'm like, you gotta, you know, yeah, I don't know if you can do both at this point. If you understand, you know, one part of that, I don't really go, know why you're being like, my people yeah, are oppressed, but also the it's your fault. Make the uh, indigenous character and the Asian character be the angry characters out of the whole group, right? Out of the whole group. So that, that was unfortunate choice on their part. I uh, actually found it kind of interesting because... Were you going to say something, Matt? Oh, I was just going to say, to be fair, uh, Wolverine is also angry most of the time as well. But is um, he in this one? So. In, in this particular issue, he is he's, somewhat... He's angry at the uh, government guy. Right. Because this is the one where he cuts the guy's tie, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Reese goes, wait a minute, you're saying I can go work for you, Charles, and I don't have to go through bureaucrats? I'm in. Right. He I was just find the it easiest interesting, one. and I think it's just a... Take that general thing. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's just a product of the times changing and, like, how the way that racist tropes change over time of how um, during World War II we had this whole thing where... Um, you know, Japanese men are the fall of America, but they're also incredibly feminine and submissive. They're nothing like the American man who's very masculine and everything that you could ever want in a man. So having um, Sunfire be fiery, you know, and incredibly like in your face, I don't want to be here. Okay, mm -hmm. note that down. I like, I'm here for my own purposes, like, and right. not just, you know, rolling over was interesting to me because it was like, it was almost like, um, they were i don't know i don't know at what at this point you know how what type of tropes they were were in like the common consciousness but it's interesting thinking about the idea that they could have seen that that trope been like we probably shouldn't do that right so let's just turn it around and make it like a different kind of <laughs> messed up yeah well and what they did with the indigenous person is we're, at this point, we were so used to seeing the young Indian warrior that that they kind of played with that and left it. It would have been neat to twist it, right? But they didn't twist yeah. it. They just gave us what we were already used to. Um, yeah, his was the most, like, on the nose in my eyes. And that was the one where when we got to it, I was just like, wow, you guys were like... This was not good. <laughs> this was right. probably the worst one you have here. Like, as I said before, like everything else definitely like leans into the tropes. And this one was just right, right on the nose, like cowboys and Indians trope. 
right, right down to like the I'm gonna fight just because you insulted me and I want to prove my honor when like you would think if you were being insulted um you know and there was like insulting your entire people but you in a racialized context you'd think you wouldn't immediately be like fine I'll go work for you but what do I know? <laughs> but it's one of those things where the writer steers it to whatever direction they needed to go in. Um, I would, I will say this would be a hard issue to write and that essentially what they're doing is breaking it down. You've got a couple pages to get Xavier going someplace, talking someone into joining the group. And then he goes to the next place and talks to the next person. And making so, it interesting. So keeping it interesting, keeping it short, um, getting the, per and so you have to do some, logical jumps of character that wouldn't probably happen um it would have taken i would think to talk uh thunderbird into joining it would have taken a whole issue's worth of to really pull it off effectively and they didn't have an issue they had a couple pages so they had to do it that way um maddie um with 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 you and and these and the characters and things i mean were you everybody else that we've talked about the diversity in the group and everything and that they're all from do you think that was a good thing for them to attempt do you think it was they blew it so bad that they shouldn't even tried it what do you think i think i mean they they tried <laughs> i think they i think it was good that they attempted it um it definitely could have been better by like today's standards um, but I don't think it's something that they just shouldn't have attempted at all. I think it was good that they like tried to do it. Yeah. I, yeah. I feel the intention matters heavily because mm -hmm. they didn't set yeah. out to make a stereotype characters. They set out because they just wanted to make characters. And that means in future, they can definitely improve on their but characters to get better. As well. It's when you have a character like who looks like you you can headcanon whatever you want from it like it's um pretty common to just see a character be like that character looks cool and you know like maybe you don't like their backstory maybe you don't like this or that but you can just be like i like that character though and i like if if only this i mean i do this now with just various things where i'm like ah, i wouldn't really like that i prefer that it looked like that it was like this instead and so i still like that character but i'm like the writers aren't treating you right and i'll do it i'll do it for you <laughs> <laughs> i i will say you know reading this issue you know they, they really they did lay some groundwork with some of these characters like yeah maybe it was a little bit you know on the nose stereotypically right now but you know, I'm looking forward to seeing the character development and growth that they give to Thunderbird in the uh, upcoming run. Uh, I think, you know, going forward, he's going to be a, a much more balanced and interesting character. Oh, they can definitely fully redeem him over time. Yeah. Yeah. With the next 30, 40 years to play with that that character is going to be around, you right. can definitely uh, uh, work on, on that. Well, and, and that is true of of all the characters, just inter getting them introduced. You don't know what the next writer is going to do with them. They can definitely bring out those parts. I mean, I think just having these characters exist in this universe was a cool thing that they tried to do. And and uh, I think part of it too, with, with the only female character being Storm, as I think about it, 
you know, most writers, to be honest, had real trouble writing for women and they couldn't figure out how to give women a voice, a, an empowered voice. And so when Len's creating this, he probably doesn't know who's going to be writing it or what their abilities are going to be or anything. And historically, you throw like one woman, woman into the group and that's enough, right? She'll be your damsel in distress or whatever she needs to be. At least he was smart enough to give her, make her one of the most powerful members of the group, which is a cool thing and a rarity for women at the time. Looking at you, Susan Storm. Yeah, but uh, but he didn't realize that he'd be handing off to Chris Claremont and Chris, Chris Claremont was considered to be one of the great writers for females. Now, historically, now they look back on him and say, well, maybe he wasn't the best, but certainly at the time, he was probably the best that uh, doing it better than anybody else. Um, but still. In the mainstream. Right. Is well, they just have a lot of female writers. I think now there's so many female writers that they can truly <laughs> write well for female, for female and female characters, which is great. Mm -hmm. So, um, anyway, let's uh, move on to, let's talk about the story. Um, the concept of pulling together a new team to rescue an old team, I think is a pretty cool idea that, that I was trying to think about it, had, uh, had this happened before, and I don't think too many times this is a great way to... I I was just thinking it's a great premise with the old team, but go ahead. What are you gonna say? I was just thinking it's a great premise for a start of a D and D campaign. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. The new team comes and rescues the old team. That's, mm -hmm. That's great. Especially if you do two campaigns, one right after the other, the second campaign is about going to rescue the people from the first one. <laughs> well, what did you guys think about the that. whole <laughs> living Island thing? And the, the story, I mean, did it, did it... I loved it. Did you? Oh, good. What did you like about it? I, oh, as I said, I, I like that you, you have to give a big threat, right? Because this is a, a, a well-established team that yeah. has dealt with Magneto and all sorts of high-level threats, so something that could defeat them and you need a bigger team to come save the day. Right. Uh got to be got to be big and so I thought they did a, I thought that was a it was just an interesting the concept of it right too well, it yes. makes it hard for me to believe that this new team that seems fairly dysfunctional could could solve this problem that the old team couldn't because they were like a finely tuned machine the original x-men um i i do think it's interesting how we've been reading the Fantastic Four, the beginnings of the Fantastic Four, and there's a lot of that that echoes through this team in that they they have personality conflicts and all sorts of things just like the Fantastic Four did and more probably than the X-Men did. The X-Men had some personality stuff going on, the original X-Men, but the new X-Men have a lot more um, deeper-rooted personalities and things. I can't remember, did they get into um, that... Kurt is uh, a Christian and really strong in his faith. I think they get into that, don't they? No, not in this issue. Not in this issue? Okay. That is going to come up here soon. So. Um, which I think is an interesting piece because you don't uh, necessarily know the religion of too many of the characters, usually in comic books. And to, to go into that and make that a huge part of who he is, 
I thought was interesting. Um, well, they they did choose the safest religion. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that was my guess would be that was then Chris Cochran. Uh, I mean, Chris uh, Claremont's doing was um, uh, probably introducing that piece if it wasn't introduced in this comic. Um, anyway, uh, what what else like stood out to people for, in this comic? Uh, Maddie, did anything else stick out to you or? Oh, I just, with the, him being religious, I just thought that it was interesting because they took the character who looked the most like a demon or like people thought was a demon and they were like, we're going to make him like the opposite of that and like make him a Christian, you know, um, which I thought was cool. Yeah, I agree. That uh, that really impacted me when I was younger and reading these was I just really loved the fact that they, they would do that with a character. He was the character that would be the least likely to do that. Alicia, go ahead. Um, I just want to give a shout out to whoever uh, the demon dog in the background was who just screamed. <laughs> um, but I really liked... I this is a thing that I think it makes it easier for me to enjoy in uh, media. Hello kitty. It makes it easier for me to enjoy media because I never see anything coming. And it's so funny because you know Hunter will be will finish something will finish a movie or something and he's like, "Oh yeah, I figured out what was going to happen, you know." An hour into the movie and I'm like, "I had no idea what was going on like the entire time." Um so it was fun for me reading this one because it was just like no I literally like I don't know what's going on like is somebody controlling the birds is there's like a team is someone controlling the plants too like it was just really just like what is going on and then just the the I really liked it felt interesting the way that they actually defeat it with like this weird lightning bolt to the magnet person and she's like sending this both burst of energy to the center of the earth and that makes like mm. a contained earthquake that sends the the island in off the planet <laughs> completely it was just really interesting because and too much uh, i completely forgot that polaris was in this <laughs> it was definitely comic book science but it was also just like well that's one way to deal with it i like you know you got it off the planet that's what matters right at this point in the comics, do we know that Polaris is Magneto's daughter? We would need Daryl for that, maybe. Yeah, we do know that he's that he's. We knew that fairly early on that Polaris was Magneto's daughter. Um, I love. She's one of my favorite drawn i love her costume i love everything about polaris i wish she would have uh featured more heavily in the new x-men than she did i think she would have been a great character to bring across but uh but yeah i'm glad she's in this issue anyway and that's the other thing they don't show her in this shot that we're looking that we have down the back they also don't show havoc right and those two characters join the x-men but who knows what happened? So they didn't. They didn't uh, show them uh, on this, but they are definitely in the comic, at least somewhat. Um, and again, makes for that last part where you're overloaded with X Men. But it certainly makes you go through and go, 
who would have you chosen to be the X-Men? I don't know. <laughs> I, I think they chose a pretty darn good team. I mean, if it was me, I probably would have went, I would have kept Polaris in there. Um, probably wouldn't have, I, I think Polaris, when, when it's Havoc and Polaris, their relationship becomes the only thing that matters. So I think I would have kept Polaris, not Havoc. And I think I probably would have kept Cyclops like they did, probably. And I probably would have, out of everybody else, maybe kept Beast. Um, but the thing is, Beast was already getting established as an Avenger, I think, at this time. So that's why you probably wouldn't keep Beast in the long run. Of course, no one knows that at this point if you're just on this comic, so you don't know who they're going to keep. But if if you were writing it and you could keep whoever you wanted, who would you have kept, Matt? The same people that they did or different people? I mean, I probably would have kept Gene. I was never, I was never the biggest Cyclops fan. I could, I could take him or leave him. I know he was like the the team leader, but I liked it later in the Claremont years when uh, Storm was kind of running the show. Um, I just, I, I just never found Cyclops all that interesting as a character. But then you couldn't have all the panels of Scott and Dean yelling back and forth at each other. <laughs> yeah, you would, you would miss that if they weren't on the, when they're not on the team together. Yeah. Um, Agreed. Yeah, I definitely at this point would have would, would keep Gene on the team. Yeah, um, I didn't mention Gene. I should. So he's, he's great, but he was an Avenger by by this point. So uh, definitely, getting Angel is good because he's kind of a one trick pony. He flies, and that's yeah, not even particularly fast. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's cool. If there's not other superheroes in the world. That's amazing, but in the Marvel universe, like just being the dude that can fly is kind of like, oh, you too, huh? Well, and it's cheating a little bit because you you're looking at it from our standpoint now, and I know what a great writer is Chris is for writing female characters. So I immediately go, oh, I keep Polaris, I keep Jean, I you know, and you'd have Storm, and you'd have a high quotient of female to male characters and know that he would be able to do great things with them. Um, certainly just about any other writer I can think of, I'd go, oh, man, I'm going to overwhelm him if I have all these women on the team and, and they're not going to know how to write for these women. So uh, I, we don't need that many damsels to be in distress. Yeah, correct. Right. Right. My go team would be a nightcrawler and then nobody else. Because <laughs> he's the best character here. He is a great character. He is um, what a wonderful character design and just character in general. I mean, uh, Cockrum definitely hit it out of the park, and he was smart for bringing that character across in whole cloth from the DC books that he was going to do. So, uh, tell you what, guys, we're about done with this comic. It sounds like talking about it. Anything else that anybody wanted to point out on this issue before we move on to anything else? We're all good. Hunter, I think you were going to tie in how it Yeah, Hunter's Comic Corner. Series. So go I ahead. got a recommendation for everyone based off of this book. Uh, so my question for my fellow podcasters here, how many teams got sent to Krakoa? How many teams? How many teams? Yes. Two that we know of. 
Incorrect. There was a third Mike, one. The answer surprises. Oh, there was a third one that got sent between the first two. And this is the story about the secret third X-Men team that Xavier made. It was also the first appearance of Darwin and also Cyclops' other brother, Vulcan. They both appeared first in X-Men Deadly Genesis. So if you want to get the full story about what happened on Krakoa here, uh, you should go check it out. Six-issue miniseries. I just read through it. Pretty good. And I like the way the cover plays on the original cover of the giant size X-Men number one. So that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, if you, if you read them back to back, like I did, you'll notice lots of specific dialogue they have that mirrors each other. Oh, that's, cool. that's quite fun. Oh, very cool. I'll have to do that. So great idea. Recommendation. Is this like pride, prejudice and zombies? Is that the vibe it's giving me? Uh, no, this is just to cover these people aren't actually dead. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it also explains how in the world Cyclops didn't have any powers when he came back, which they didn't explain in Giant Sized X Men. Right, right. That's right. And then he came back yeah. with a vengeance, and so he had to have the, the mm-hmm. visor that was a cooler looking, bigger buffer visor. So, yeah, very cool. Um, they also. One other thing to point out, they also didn't explain why Kurt apparently didn't have his powers at the beginning of X-Men Deadly Genesis, because he doesn't teleport at all. Right. Of of Second Genesis. When he's running from the crowd, he didn't teleport. Right. Yeah. We never never mentioned power in that first say, I'm too tired to teleport or anything. (laughs) Which I thought was interesting, because Takram describes the character in like he said i designed this character that would i think he said bamf around from place to place and it was nightcrawler and i decided to bring him over to marvel so it sounds like he'd already envisioned that as being the character's power but they just never showed him actually use his power they showed him use his acrobatic ability and things but they showed it once in the issue did they yeah yes Okay. They show it at one, but not when he's running around. I know so too. When I was reading, I'm like, is this one of the things where he doesn't actually get his powers till later? But no, they just don't explain why he's not teleporting at the beginning. Well, and one of the things sadder when he was as he was running away, I guess. One of the things I really like about the X Men and mutants in general, and certainly whether way Claremont wrote them. Uh, he was probably the first one to kind of introduce this, but where a number of them, their powers weren't fully developed or they needed work on their powers. And so they would, their powers would be stronger and they get better at using them. Uh, we can remember that at the beginning, uh, Nightcrawler could only teleport himself. And if he teleported anybody else, they would get sick and he wouldn't do well with it either. And later on, he could teleport more and more groups of people and do better with it. Um, certainly, when he introduced the character of Cannonball, Cannonball couldn't even use his power. He'd just go straight. He couldn't turn or anything. So he'd always blast into the walls and things. Um, but I think that's a cool thing that he had with his characters. Anyway, that is probably a good stopping point for yeah. us. Um, I will put in the show notes always different connections to get these issues in different ways 
certainly um what is it called marvel unlimited marvel unlimited is a great way to go because you pay like 10 bucks a month and you'll have access to all these issues and all the it's like spotify but with marvel comics it's everything but the the most recent comics from the past three months right and so that's a lot of comics and so um it's how i probably would have done it years ago when i was collecting if that option was available to me um Anybody else have anything else to throw in before we're done or just uh, cut it there? I think, I think, I think it sounds like we're good. So check out Deadly Genesis. Check out Deadly Genesis. Read uh, your X-Men so you can follow along with us. And next time we'll even present the letter pages and things about the issues, which will be fun. Um, glad you could all join us. Thank you, Ma Maddie. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Hunter. Thanks, Alicia. Uh, great conversation. Bye. Hope you all enjoy it and don't be too offended by the uh, racist uh, tones of <laughs> some of the characters <laughs> and the way they treat them. Till next time. Thanks so much, everybody. Bye. Bye.